Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you're a guest with us, my name's John. I'm also one of the pastors here at the church, and it's great to be worshiping with you. Uh, and if you're a regular, we missed you during Christmas. Our family was away uh, for kind of an extended time of, uh, with a, a family reunion on Crystal's side out in California, and we had, a, we had a great time, but we're thinking about you during the whole season, so it's good to be back. Uh, Happy New Year. As we begin the new year, we're diving into a new series uh, that's going to take us straight through the letter of Ephesians. So we will, uh, we'll pray in a moment and we'll uh, read the scripture in a moment, but just, uh, just today and today only, I want to give you a quick frame for this letter before we dive in as, as we look at it for the next few weeks. Uh, so Ephesians, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians. And if you don't know where Ephesus is, Ephesus is geographically, here it is. It's in the country that we know uh, today as Turkey on the western shore. And in, in the ancient world, uh, Ephesus was a very important city. It was a center of commerce, a seaport. Uh, that, that, this region of Turkey was an important trade route, kind of the crossroads of the, of the trading world back then. Uh, so it was, it was a big deal as the church looked toward expanding and, and seeing churches planted. And if you're newer to the Bible, uh, the, the way many of the churches got planted in the, in the ancient world, at least initially, was the Apostle Paul. After his conversion, uh, he became one of the foremost missionaries of the early church. And his mission was almost exclusively planting churches, taking the church to places where it was not which is largely how we understand Christian mission today, uh, to take the church to places where it is not, not just to serve and do good things in Jesus' name, as good as that is, but to establish a beachhead of Christian community in every place around the world. And, and that's what Paul was trying to do. And he took several missionary journeys. You can kind of read about those in the book of Acts. But on his first missionary journey, he swung through Ephesus. And he hadn't planned on staying there very long, but he visited it and very quickly identified that it was a, a highly strategic location. So he left there two fellow church leaders who were traveling with him, Priscilla and Aquila, and thus was planted the church in Ephesus. Uh, he would return about a year later, and Paul would spend two and a half years there because he found it uh, to be such a fruitful place for ministry. He connected with people, he taught. Uh, it, his time there ended with a little bit of a brouhaha, which you can again read about in the book of Acts. Uh, but it was a very important uh, church to be planted. Now, in, in the New Testament, there are several different time, types of, of books. We tend to refer to everything in the New Testament as a book. Some of them were actually written kind of as short books, the Gospels and the Book of Acts. Uh, Revelation kind of stands alone as a, as a prophetic uh, kind of piece. But all the rest of the New Testament were written as letters, letters either to an individual or a congregation to address a specific issue with a person or some specific issues happening in a local congregation. And there were some letters written to a congregation that were intended more to be circulated uh, broadly among churches of a whole region. That's what Ephesians is. It was one of those letters written to a congregation but applicable to all churches everywhere and thus directly applicable to us here now today. You don't need to do much contextualizing because the letter of Ephesians answers some big questions like, who are we when we believe in Jesus? What's our identity and, and what are we called to do as followers of Jesus? So these, these are the big issues of Ephesians. 
for what it's worth, it was John Calvin's favorite book of the Bible. (laughs) Uh, The accolades given it by famous theologians are almost endless. Here are some. Ephesians, the most consummate and comprehensive statement of the Christian religion. The crown and climax of theology. The sublimest communication ever made to human beings. Wow. Right? The most contemporary book of the Bible, since it promises community in a world of disunity, reconciliation in place of alienation, and peace instead of war. A former president of Princeton Seminary, John McKay, read Ephesians when he was 14 years old, and simply reading the book led him to Jesus. Here's what he said. I read this letter, and I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes to other people. I loved God. Jesus Christ became the center of everything for me. I had been quickened, made alive. So this is, this is Ephesians. So before we listen to the scripture, let's pray together, shall we? God, thank you that you are good, that you're real, and that you reveal yourself to us, that you desire to be known, uh, not just as a religious thought, but as a person who loves us deeply. So God, may it be to us that we might gain a renewed vision of the world, a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes toward other people. May Jesus become the center of everything for us as we look at your word. And by your spirit, may we be quickened and made alive. Open our eyes and ears and hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's listen to the first 14 verses of the letter of Ephesians. Join me in Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in the, uh, in the original language, the passage we just read, verses 3 through 14, so most of it, right, is one gigantic complex sentence. There's, there's no punctuation uh, in there. It's expected that Paul dictated this letter and somebody was writing it down. And it's very clear that right out of the gate after he identified himself and his audience and kind of shared grace and peace with his friends, he just, he just hit go. And it started flowing out of him. And this is what he said. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And and he goes on from there. One huge sentence, phrase after glorious phrase because he just can't contain himself. The news is too good. He neither pauses for a breath nor adds any punctuation because the truth just has to get out. God is good, and God loves people, and God has poured out blessing on people. Amazing. God pouring out grace, God working out an eternal plan in all goodness and love, and and the result being all of our fears can be relieved, all of our hopes be given focus all of our concerns be placed in perspective. God has poured out blessing on the world, not just some blessing, every spiritual blessing, not a single one withheld. How did God do this? In Jesus. Because again, the story isn't just a religious thought that we rehearse Sunday by Sunday, it's the truth. We live in a world where a resurrection has happened. Jesus was born lived a real life, he died a real death, and God raised him from the dead, and he is alive right now. God did all of this blessing for us in Christ. How do we gain these blessings and all of their benefits? By being united to Jesus, who's alive right now. That's possible if you didn't know that before. We can live in union with Jesus, who is alive right now. And that's what this book of Ephesians is about. What does it mean to be united to Christ. What does that mean for how we understand who we are and that to which we're called in this world? It's an amazing thing. It's a whirlwind of a message. And if any passage were ever worthy of being memorized, this is it. And I challenge you to that, even if you're not a memorizer, right? Try it. Commit these verses to memory and then remember them by praying them because there's so much in here, just loaded with truth, incredible, articulating all of the blessings by which uh, God has blessed us, past, present, and future, namely the past blessing of election, being chosen by God, the present blessing of adoption, living right now with an understanding that we're God's kid, and the future blessing of unification, or in our communion liturgy language, hope, Right? Hope of a day where God will make new everything that's broken in this world right now, including us. So let's, let's look 
at these blessings and thanks in advance to John Stott for this outline and for pointing out this, this framework to this text. It was very helpful. So let's, let's look at these. The past blessing of election. Here it is. For God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now I, I totally get that when, whenever in the church we start talking about God choosing people, a hundred questions pop up in our mind, right? So let me just name the first question that popped up in our minds. If God chooses some people, does it mean that God doesn't choose other people? And does God give people a fair shake or is God somehow kind of flippant? Just, hey, you're in, you're out. Is that how this works? I mean, is there a great heavenly lazy boy in the sky where God is offhandedly saying, hey, you're in, you're in, come on down. You over there in the red sweater, nice job. You're in. Ooh, John Sherrill? Wow. I don't think so. Thanks for playing, buddy. We've got a not-so-nice parting gift for you. I mean, we joke about it, right? But it's a concern. Whenever we talk about God choosing, uh, the real question that comes up in our mind is what does that mean about who God is? Is God fair? Is God kind? Is, is God loving? Um, what, what's, what's really going on here? That's where I think this passage that we read in Ephesians is so helpful. It makes it clear that, that all of this choosing happens in Christ, in Jesus. And that, that helps us understand what the Bible is really saying here because the Bible also says that if we want to know what God is like, we can look at Jesus because Jesus was God. We can observe the way that he interacted with people and understand that that is the way God interacts with people. We can look at the things that Jesus said to people and the way in which he said them. And we can know that those are the kinds of things that God says to people. And those are the kinds of ways that God interacts with other people. God God blessed us in Christ, says the text. God chose us in Christ, says the text. God predestined us for adoption through Jesus says the text. It's in and through Jesus that God chooses people. Jesus. Now, remember who Jesus is. Who at the Last Supper took off his outer garment and wrapped a towel around his waist and knelt down to wash the feet of his disciples. That's Jesus. You know, Jesus, who hanging on the cross in the last throes of life managed to, to, to eke out one last prayer. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's Jesus. Jesus, who holding nothing back, gave everything he had, including his own life, for the purpose of reconciling people to God, you and me, not just other people, reestablishing the relationship that was broken by sin for the purpose of healing broken people, making lives whole again, for the purpose of calling out new life to a world drowning in petty self-interest. I mean, that's Jesus. God 
chose us in Jesus. If God is like Jesus, I think we can trust him in his choosing. This is done in all love with such clear intent to save. Did you know that the Bible is very clear about what God wants? Here it is. God desires everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, not many, not a whole lot, no smorgasbord to choose from. There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all. It's the gospel in one verse, right? God is good. He's given himself for us. He doesn't want anyone to reject him. doesn't want anyone to live without him. God has done everything possible to draw us toward him. The door is wide open. All we have to do is ask, seek, and knock. Right? According to the Bible, it's God's continuing work right now to draw us to himself. That, that God is doing something right now in this moment, in this place, in our minds and hearts right now to draw us toward him, to advance the redeeming work that God is doing in the world, specifically in, in my life and in yours. It's amazing, right? I mean, this, this whole idea of God choosing people is not about God foreordaining people to hell. It's about God choosing human beings like you and me based on no merit of our own at all. Simply because God loves people. You don't have to be good enough. I hope that's good news to you in a new year. Our relationship with God is not based on our being good enough. The the, the perpetual temptation to clean ourselves up before we come back to God is wrong. It's a lie. It's based on something that's not true. God simply wants us to turn to him now. Garrison Keillor tells a great story about being chosen for childhood baseball teams. The captains are down to their last grudging choices. A slow kid for catcher, someone to stick out in right field where no one hits the ball. They choose the last ones two at a time. You and you, because it makes no difference. And the remaining kids, the scrubs, the excess, they, they deal with us as handicaps. If I take him, then then you have to take him, they say. Sometimes I go as high as sixth, usually lower. But just once, I'd like Daryl to pick me first and say, him, I want him, the skinny kid with glasses and black shoes. You, come on. But I've never been chosen with much enthusiasm. I don't know how you feel today. I don't know how you feel about your relationship with God. But if you're in this place today and you are in Christ, meaning you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, God picked you with great enthusiasm. Not because you're any good at baseball at all. Just because he he loves you. He likes you. He wants you as part of his family. You feel the identity implications, don't you? Every once in a while, 
the, the possibility of living in this space where you believe with all of your being that God really chose you and loves you that much flashes across your mind and spirit and you think, whoa, really? Yeah, really. You can live there all the time because it's true. God did choose you and God does love you. Right? And God didn't just choose you in some abstract way. God chose you to be his child. Look at this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. God chose us to be sons and daughters, each with the the right of a full inheritance. That's what that strange word in English, sonship, means in, in that passage. It doesn't really have anything to do with the gender of the one inheriting. It's referring to the Roman understanding of inheritance, where the sons got a full inheritance, but the daughters didn't. So what Paul is referring to here is that every Christian, male, female, slave, free, Jew, Greek, whoever, will receive a full inheritance. Every follower of Jesus is a child with full rights where we gain all that is the Father's. That's an amazing thing, right? Uh, to, to quote a popular Christian song, there's, there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. God wants us. God is pursuing us and God promises a full inheritance for those who are his kids. And if we're in Christ, we can hear the words that God spoke over Jesus at his baptism as words that God speaks over us today. You are my son, daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now I'm Norwegian by background, not not Dutch, but there are many of us who are Dutch here, but the basic Scandinavian guilt thing is pretty strong, right? Can you imagine, really imagine, living your way into a place in life where you believe with everything in you that God is well pleased with you? Are you there right now? If you're in Christ, God is well pleased with you. Not because we've done anything to deserve that. Because when, we, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And the, the perfect obedience to God's law that Christ came to fulfill on our behalf is ours in Christ, the righteousness of Jesus given to us, the great transaction, the gospel. This is great news. And you can get a taste of, of what Christians mean when they talk about what it means to be free in Christ. Because if you're not there, if you can imagine your way there for a moment, and imagine the tremendous freedom in which one might live if this is the real depth of belief inside of you. And it's available to us, not just by a manufacturing of our own, but by a gift. And all we have to do is say, yes, God, and, and seek this out as we would hidden treasure. You know, when, when this idea of 
God doing all of this on our behalf, God sending Jesus on our behalf, dying for us, rising to life for us, living for us now, interceding for us now, giving us his, his perfect obedience to all of God's law. It, it leads to the natural conclusion at which the Apostle Paul arrived in Romans 8. Here it is. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer, no one and nothing. Right? In Jesus, in that kind of sense, we're untouchable. Now again, we might not feel that way. And that's, that's a hard and, and very real truth in this world. This first Sunday of the new year, how are you feeling about you? Do you feel out of control? Do you struggle with shame? Do you battle an internal dialogue that tells you you're, you're insufficient, a sham, one notch away from worthless? And do you feel on edge? things not going the way you hoped? Do you feel as if you're being assaulted on every front, as if life is a constant struggle in every area? Mark this phrase well. God chose you in Christ to be his child. Did we all hear that? God chose us in Christ to be his child. So when you wonder, who am I? The first and most important answer is a child of God by faith in Jesus. I mean, it's tough. I know it's tough to kind of remind ourselves of that and to to really believe that in this world because of all the stuff going on that's fallen and broken. It's so hard but I think that's exactly why Jesus told us to start all of our prayers with this very point because it's where he started in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, our our Abba, our Daddy. It's it's meant to to prompt us every time we pray to remember who we are, children of, of a loving God, a perfect heavenly parent who has our good in mind and will hold nothing back to defend, protect, and guide us. Wow, God chose you in Christ to be his child. And that, that past blessing of election and the present blessing of adoption all live under the promise of future fulfillment. Here's the future blessing of unification. God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The promise of future blessing for those who are in Christ. Everything torn asunder by the fall shall be reunited in Jesus. Everything broken shall be mended. Everything dead shall be made alive. Every good thing turned bad shall be redeemed for its true intent. And here's the promise again. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling places now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Neither history nor our personal struggle and suffering is meaningless. In Christ, life is moving toward a glorious goal, no matter how it feels right now. That is the truth upon which we stand. And it's why we can recite with, with Julian of Norwich, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of thing shall be well. And in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing, not one withheld. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. God adopted us as children who will receive a full inheritance. Everything that is the Father's is, is ours. And God will restore unity to all things making everything new at some point in the future. All of the, 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 the foundational Christian understanding that supports the Heidelberg Catechism's question and answer number one asks the catechism, what is your only comfort in life and in death? If you're so minded, read the answer with me. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, no matter where we're at in kind of exploring or living in a relationship with you. I I pray that you would move toward us today. Uh, Help us wherever we are to, to stop running and to turn toward you and simply to ask you to come in because we know you want to do that. So Father, pour out your spirit on us. Help us learn of you, help us know you, help us uh, trust you, rely upon you. Thank you that you've made known to us your goodness. We want to grow in you. Uh, Help us see what the next step for each of us is to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.